Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. But, you know, it shouldn't have to be internal audits fight to get the board to interact with them. And, and the same with compliance. I don't think it should have to be the compliance professional's fight to get more face time with the board to help them understand um, what they do and the scope of their work so that the board, who should all be really smart people and business savvy people, can ask other questions that both of those lines might not have thought of themselves. Because the ultimate accountability and um, the people who had the most influence for change uh, are in your leadership team. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And once again, we have Naomi Burley, our managing director. Hi, Naomi. Hello. So the last time we spoke, we were talking about the new um, International Standard for Compliance. And I feel like this sort of falls a little bit under that com- into that conversation. Uh, so recently, um, it was sort of covered in the press that the internal auditors were advocating on the behalf of their members, their auditors, to sort of have greater impact on the board in banks and financial institutions. Um, we won't really know what the final wording for that document is until about July, when I think everything is published and whatnot. But I think it, it raises some, I guess, some interesting questions um, about the. I guess the three lines of independence or three lines of responsibility and what they mean for GRC in general. Um, but I guess we can go back to why do you think that kind of conversation is relevant to our members? Look, I think there are lots of synergies between internal audit and compliance functions as two separate lines from the first line. And um, as you know, we have an MOU with the Internal Audit Association and we have a lot of um, sympathies about how things are run and independence and the value of both functions and they, that they serve unique functions within the organisation. So I'm, I'm very sympathetic to them wanting to have greater traction with boards because I think, as we've always said about compliance function, in many organisations, the compliance function is misunderstood, its purpose and how it, it can be utilised by the leadership team and by boards to have a better understanding of the operations of the business. And I think very similar things could be said for internal audit. Um, and there's, there's often misconceptions about how independent internal audit can be, should be, or is. Um, and there are some organisations that don't have a, a reporting line directly to the board outside of when they're actually asked to conduct an audit. So they, they can't ongoingly raise things or they can't recheck in um, and their ongoing role in an organisation is misunderstood. Um, it's only at the time of an audit is conducted and a report presented mm. that, um, that the board might even remember they have an internal audit function. So I can understand where they're coming from. Right. Uh, yeah. And as I mentioned, obviously it was in the press and the particular article came from the AFR. Um, the journalist, when sort of addressing the issue, he used a very interesting um, choice of words where he talked about the so-called third line which I thought was a bit interesting and I wondered if maybe that sort of tone that he took was either uh, in part maybe outside of the GRC community people not really understanding what the purpose of the three lines of defense or responsibility are or is it more that there have been so many failings within financial institutions that there is maybe a sense that they're not effective as they're being implemented. I think I think you're I think you're spot on. I think it's a mix of both. I think that um, the the theory of the three lines of defence, as it's known, emerged quite some time ago now, and um, 
GRCI, along with Annette Donsilar and in our courses, we've tried to rename it the three lines of accountability or responsibility to make clear this visualisation of um, when you think of three lines of defence, and I think a lot of people who don't actually work in that or understand how the, the machinations of it are meant to work, they imagine it like three lines of soldiers because yeah. it's a military um, descriptor. And that they're all, if they get through the first line, then the second line will protect you. And if they get through the second line, the third line will protect you. And that's where this big misunderstanding um, operates. It's, it's really much more cyclical than that. Yep. Um, and it's really the, a clearer, clearer demarcation around who is accountable for what part of being compliant. Um, and and um, we, we just ran the Compliance and Risk 101 this morning and we're re-going through this. And I liken it very much to um, your first line is anyone in the organisation who um, is either assigned accountability and responsibility for being compliant in a role. And that means they have direct control over whether they are compliant or not. Mm -hmm. So if they, are, if they are selling a product to a customer, they have direct control whether they offer the customer the right thing, whether they offer it through the correct channels, whether they tick all the boxes that they're meant to tick when they make sure that that client is onboarded, whatever it is, they get all the information. They have control there. The compliance function has absolutely no control unless they're sitting right next to that person and make them write that down or ask the question or, or do whatever else. So everyone in the organisation that can make a key decision that either makes that organisation compliant or non-compliant, they're your front line. So they can be board members, they can be senior management, they can be your business unit head if they direct everybody to do it in a non-compliant way. And they can be your um, customer facing person. Um, they can be your marketing department if they don't, if they just issue whatever marketing material they like. They've made that key decision. They, they are responsible for that and are accountable for it. And if the, if, you've got a very junior person who's accountable for something they shouldn't be accountable for and someone else should be supervising them because it's actually their accountability, then that's, you know, another flaw in the system. But those people have control over whether or not they're compliant. Your second line has responsibility for making sure that those people understand what they are accountable for, what being compliant and not being compliant looks like, and for checking in that they are doing that and guiding them back on the correct path when they are getting things wrong or making mistakes. Let's call it making mistakes. They're not deliberately trying to be non-compliant. Mm. Then you have someone else who is accountable, your third line, whether it's internal or external audit, but an internal audit is a really useful way of doing it because they understand the context and don't have to be briefed on the context of the business. Yeah. Um, and they are independent of all that. They didn't create the support mechanism. They didn't create the controls. They haven't authored any of that. So they can come with a fresh set of eyes, but they understand the context. They understand the scope of the audit and what they're meant to be looking for. They, work, they can work with second line and get a good briefing and understand um, what, what they are looking at yeah. and what elements they are looking for. And then they go in and come back with their independent opinion on that piece of work. Um, and they all have separate responsibilities, but they're not going to stop anything. By the time internal audit gets to run an internal audit, they are not going to stop anything um, from being compliant or non-compliant. It's such a lag indicator that the horse is well and truly bolted. So the idea in populist press um, or even in leadership teams that 
that defence um, uh, imagery of it being a third line to stop something bad happen is completely off. And I think this is where internal and external audit often get um, get poorly judged for their performance yeah. when they didn't have hope in hell <laughs> of stopping anything bad happening. It's been so long, you know, they might only be asked in to conduct an audit annually and um, issues may have happened at the start of that year. Um, they're reviewing a framework. They're not going to be looking at every case. They'll be taking you know, a risk-based approach to what they're looking at. Yeah. Um, and so they have no control over that. And so I think they get a lot of unwarranted bad press for things that are simply not their function and they can't be accountable for. Right. Yeah, of course. And, and I guess you can see then why inter the Institute of Internal Auditors and I guess why we do what we do as well, sort of advocate on behalf of our members to sort of get greater influence on the board levels so people understand who if, the responsibility actually lies. Yes. And I think if the board's had a clearer understanding of that um, and, and the scope that an, an internal auditor could possibly even undertake, they would be able to better brief internal audit and ask them to look for particular things. Um, they'd be able to take their learnings from the Royal Commission or other actions that they've been advised about or might be reading in the press and say, do you think we've got, could have the potential to have anything like that going on? Can we change the scope of our audit to take that in? And they could have a dialogue. But I think that in many organisations, internal audit doesn't get a reporting line or a dialogue line to the board, except at the time when they're presenting their report. And boards may not have actively participated in defining that scope. And then probably reasonably, they then say, well, we didn't know there was an issue because they didn't get to ask the question. Yeah. So it sort of, it works both ways, but, but you know, it shouldn't have to be internal audit's fight to get the board to interact with them. And, and the same with compliance. I don't think it should have to be the compliance professionals fight to get more face time with the board to help them understand um, what they do and the scope of their work so that the board, who should all be really smart people and business savvy people can ask other questions that both of those lines might not have thought of themselves. Because the ultimate accountability and um, the people who have the most influence for change uh, are in your leadership team. Right. Well, I, and I guess that's interesting, you know, obviously just this morning I attended, virtually attended um, the Holly Ransom fireside chat, the Saxton fireside chat. And I guess what is interesting out of that was she talked about organizations at this point, um, you know, having to sort of step back and reconsider what they've been doing, um, you know, to sort of build and um, tests and stress tests and stress test or stress test and sort of, reconsider so i guess it's an opportunity for organizations to re-implement those three lines or to sort of see where they sit yes and and get a bit of better understanding um you, you know it is employed by a lot of organizations as theoretical best practice but unfortunately i've seen many examples where it's mutated within organizations so it's either incredibly complicated yep. and then people lose sight of what role they actually are or why they're assigned a particular line, um, and it's or it's it's mutated to the point where your second and third line have inherent conflicts. Yeah. So the second line might be set up as a support for first line, but they're buried in the first line with the with the business unit team. Now, in theory, that sounds great. They can ask them a question at any time. They can turn around and ask something. But yeah. what then happens is 
the business unit head might think that function reports to them and then therein you have a conflict because they don't have to report anything further up and they don't recognise their independence and that they are a support role and over time people lose sight of the three roles. And it's really, you know, it's really clear that compliance authors the framework that supports. So that includes controls, monitoring and reporting up to the board yep. um, on an ongoing basis and briefing internal audit on the scope of the audits they might be undertaking at any point in time and working with them to supply them with whatever they need with that. Yep. Um, and, and internal audit needs, has responsibility for an oversight and access um, and, and providing an independent report back to the board. So their key responsibilities around their independence um, and, and having that eye to that. But at the same time, if they have information withheld from them or someone engages in a deliberate deception, uh, they also, you know, that makes their job incredibly difficult. And so there needs to be communication from the board down as well. As we always say, we need constant uh, leadership buy-in yep. to for first line to understand how important a compliance framework is and following directives and, and you know, understanding the training and, and doing what the policies and procedures say because they will help you be compliant. Um, the same thing needs to come in terms of your third line as well. You know, internal audit serves a really valuable function. You want to discover your own messes before a regulator walks in and tells you what bad things have been happening in your organisation while you've been asleep at the wheel. So internal audit's incredibly valuable and should be respected and, you know, everyone should be honest with internal audit um, so that you can sort out your own housekeeping. Um, but yeah, quite often that, that role's misunderstood and people think that both second line and third line are there to catch you out. Um, and so they hide things from things from compliance and they hide things from internal audit. Right, right. So I was wondering, I mean, obviously uh, the internal auditors are presently working on, on something to sort of help um, the sort of internal auditors in terms of that influence. I was also wondering if whether the international standard, um, which is in the works for compliance professionals, whether that will play any role in helping to sort of deal with any of that confusion that we were just discussing? Look, it, do, it does make reference to the three lines of defence in the um, revision of the standard. And I think the current 19600 might also do that. Yeah. But with this with this standard moving to a certifi certification standard, it means that it's a tool that the second line can give to internal audit. And, and um, internal audit conducts all kinds of audits. So their expertise might be in financial auditing to discover fraud. Yeah. Um, or other crimes going on within the organisation, as well as then auditing a compliance framework. They are two completely different beasts where you ha might have to shift from being able to, being really savvy with crunching numbers and being able to sniff out an in, in an investigatory way where things might not add up the way they're supposed to add up yeah. versus understanding risks, why risks are set, uh, assessed a particular way and why controls are in place. So, the, um, the standard is an incredibly useful tool for compliance to hand to internal audit and say, look, this is, this is, the, um, this is the kind of framework we are working towards. We've added these bits. We've made these decisions based on this. But, you know, this is a great lead in for asking questions and digging into a compliance framework as opposed to other kinds of audits you might undertake. So I think it's going to be very, very valuable for internal audit. 
All right. And down to the final question, really. I mean, we've had a lot happening. Um, I tried not to mention it, but I'm going to know. Um, <laughs> you know, we obviously are in a, in a period of disruption. But even before that period of disruption, I mean, obviously, we've had um, a lot of negative press, um, whether it was the Banking Royal Commission, whether it was breaches of other legislation, um, which I guess all would point to from at least from a public perception that if you've heard of the three lines of defense responsibility, you would have the sense that they're not really functioning. And as you said, from a populist press perspective or people from the outside, it just looks like there's just something not quite right happening here. So what lessons can be learned maybe from our perspective, or any perspective really, um, about how we can better implement these three lines? I think, I think that boards um, could do with a a revised training in what's meant to be going on with those three lines. They can better use the second and the third line as their trusted advisors and reviewers of what's actually going on in their organisation and to respect that. Because again, I think sometimes boards, a lot of people come up through the industry and having had this suspicion of being caught out by compliance and internal audit. Um, and they sometimes carry those prejudices through and not understand the value they can have in giving them insights into the culture and behaviours and the non-conformities that go on that you really want to know that stuff. If, if employees were all turning up two hours late to work and not completing any of their KPIs, you'd want to know that stuff. Yeah. And it's the same with the other non-compliances. You want to know when customers aren't getting... Um, what they need or they are we're still being harmed in the process you want to find that out first and the regulator should be your last you know the last recourse for everything and you should be able to tidy up what you've got going on self-report to the regulator and say look we discovered this and we're doing this to sort this out and have a much more proactive discussion with regulators if something does go wrong and I don't I think that um I think that that's the big learning that's come out of that. I don't think people understand the the two the how the two other lines work and where the key responsibilities are. And I think a lot of pe a lot of organisations, because compliance and audit are complicated, they just go, "Oh, you guys deal with that," and don't recognise their own accountabilities. So I think a little bit of revision, because as an as a basis of the idea of independence, the same as conflicts, the same as managing all those things. That's 101 stuff. If you had that in place and they were truly independent and everyone understood what everyone did, yeah. you'd be halfway there. Um, and, and I do think that boards are guilty of misunderstanding the role of the two lines. They see them in that military fashion and think that nothing should come up to them. If those two lines were doing what they're supposed to be doing, I shouldn't have anything reported up to me. And that's not the case. It's a cycle. Um, you know, you, you're assigned your accountabilities, compliance will will support you in that, educate you what you're meant to do, internal audit will check their work, and then any discrepancies from both will be reported through, you all improve it, you start on the cycle again. So it's, it's not so much a military operation as a process of continual improvement. Oh, excellent. Thank you very much, Naomi. I actually think there's more that we can discuss here, but maybe that will be for a later podcast or an article. I, I look, I think it'd be really interesting to have it as a panel webinar session. So yeah. we'll have a little bit of a look into inviting some of the members to speak about how they think it works successfully in their organisations. Excellent. Thanks, Naomi, for your time. Thank you. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary.